Unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. Lord, may the amazement of the incarnation rule in our hearts and in our world this day and forever. Amen. Darkness and light. I'm not talking about the recent Star Wars edition called The Force Awakens. However, you may have seen that hashtag around, um, light side, dark side. Which side are you going to choose in the Star Wars trilogy or series now? It's, um, it has utilized that idea of darkness and light, good and evil, both on a galactic and cosmic scope, but also individual characters. Which side are they going to choose? Are they going to be pulled in one direction or the other? Christmas reminds us of the light that is breaking into the world. And I don't know if you've ever sat in darkness, but light brings great comfort and relief. I'm not talking about darkness when you just turn out the lights in your house or when you're walking outside under the moon and stars. Have you been in such utter darkness that you couldn't see a thing? I once bravely took a group of inner city teenagers to a cave in Tennessee and uh, we went exploring in there. And there was an area in this cave that was called Fat Man Squeeze. It was a very narrow area between the rock. And we shuffled in there, and we were all in this line. There was about 12 of us, and the, we turned out our flashlights. I mean, you would have thought there were some elementary girls in there because the screams from these teenage boys was palpable. Uh, there was a lot of terror I said, we're just going to do this for one minute. You could hear a little bit of silence, maybe a little water dripping from moisture off the rocks, but I even felt within my own chest my heart beating. I couldn't see the rock that was literally an inch from my face. Um, so when the light, when we did turn our lights back on, everybody felt great relief, and yet we were squished, you know, scrunched into this little area of the cave. We made our way out. Um, some of those boys were not too thrilled with what we did. But when light shines, when you are in a dark place, it brings great hope and relief. And darkness and light, that, that resonated for the Hebrew people. The notion of good versus evil, of sinful rebellion against God's righteousness and holiness. The light of wisdom versus the darkness of folly and foolishness. Scripture's filled with this idea at the creation account. When the Spirit of God is hovering over the deep, the world was yet unformed. It sat in darkness. It was chaotic. And God brought order when he set luminaries in the sky and brought, divided the day from the night, separating the light from the darkness. In the Exodus, Egypt, the nation that was oppressing the Hebrew people, it was described as dark and chaotic, as disordered, apart from God's orderly rule. And so when they, he, God led his people out, they were led out with a pillar of cloud by day to shield them and a pillar of fire at night to lead them through the darkness. 
Psalm 119 famously says, Your word, Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. God's people have looked to him for hope and help in what they experienced as a dark world around them. And God was their source of light and hope and strength and peace. A shroud of darkness covered the world in Isaiah's day when he prophesied that a son would be given, that the people walking in darkness, they have seen a great light. The world was likewise dark when Jesus the Christ was born. And if we think about it, our world too feels dark. A shroud of darkness is over uncertainty, over terrorism, the fear of ISIS, wondering what kind of world are we handing over to our children or our children's children. There is a burden of oppression upon people. Um, physical is often easier to see when, when there is illness, sickness, death, estrangement in relationship, loneliness, heartache. There's also the type of a spiritual oppression that gets ignored, that gets stuffed down, pushed down. But like a volleyball in, in a pool, you can push it down all you want, but it's going to pop back up. Because the Bible says the world is imprisoned under Satan's rule, under the prince of this world. The Apostle Paul calls it the powers and principalities of this world. That there's a force behind people and events in your life and mine and even on a global scale. And so the ancients, they would connect these ideas of darkness and light and a spiritual reality beyond what they could see with looking for outside deliverance. The world was groaning for freedom, groaning and yearning for light and truth. And so it's no surprise that the Jews were looking for a messianic king, a warrior king who would deliver them from their oppressors, who would bring them peace and prosperity. Isaiah prophesied that there would be one from the line of David who would sit on David's throne forever and ever who would be called a wonderful counselor. He would be somebody who would exercise authority in government. He was to be very God, called eternal father and the prince of peace, and not just the absence of warfare, but shalom, the sense of wholeness, completeness, prosperity. And so I picture, when I think of a, war, of a messianic king, I picture in the Lord of the Rings, in the two towers, when the hobbits and the men and the dwarves are fighting against the powers of darkness, against the orcs and all these ugly, deformed creatures, and they are under siege. And the orcs are winning, and it's looking very grim. And then at just the last moment, when they're about to give up all hope, when they think all is lost... What do they see when they look to the east as dawn begins to break over the hillside? You see Gandalf the White and on his white stallion with all the elves and they come charging down this hill and the light just makes the orcs and the darkness flee and they vanquish their enemy and uh, order is restored. Disaster is averted. That's what we expect from a God who delivers and that's probably what the Jews expected too. 
Yet John tells us he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Isaiah 9 gives a description of a Messiah that doesn't seem to match up with the Jesus we find in the Gospels. Jesus was not a political figure exercising rule and government. He was not a military strategist leading a rebellion against the oppressive Romans. He, was not, he didn't even hold the grandeur of a rock star, a folk hero. Came not as a warrior king, but as a son, as a child, as the babe in a manger. And light broke in at his birth. At the announcement of his birth to the teenage girl Mary, the angel came and great light shone around him. When his birth was announced to shepherds in the field, great light accompanied their singing glory to God in the highest. And that light that they recognized somehow didn't seem to register on the national landscape of Israel. Light seemed to come to the nobodies on the outskirts of society, people who belonged to nowhere and didn't seem to have names that were that important. Jesus came to an fa ordinary family from an ordinary place, and he came to his own, and yet they didn't receive him. So what kind of deliverance is this, the gospel of Jesus Christ? If his name's supposed to be Wonderful Counselor, how is Jesus a qualified ruler? Jesus did say, my kingdom is not of this world. And he was ultimately crowned, not with a golden crown, but a crown of thorns. He was supposed to be mighty God, a person of great power. Jesus, of course, exercised miracles. He brought healing. He did equate himself with God the Father. He said, I and my Father are one. That's why the authorities wanted to kill him. The title Everlasting Father, Eternal Father, shows the relational status that Jesus has to you and me, that we are no longer called servants or slaves, but we are children of God, sons and daughters. We are welcomed into the family. And as the Prince of Peace, there's a society created and ordered around the character of the one who is our King and Lord. Jesus lays that out in the Sermon on the Mount where he exalts humility and shows preference for weakness. God with us, Emmanuel. It is an astounding and even scandalous idea. The Incarnation. The four haunting words from the Creed that we will recite in a few moments. I want you to pause and think about it as you're saying them. Don't just do it rotely. But those four words that are so powerful, they have shake, they shake the foundation of the earth. It's, and was made man. God of God, light of light, was made man. The deliverance indeed came from on high, but it came in an unexpected package. Not in the warrior king who would vanquish enemies and be a king on David's throne. Instead, it was a vulnerable baby born to a simple peasant girl. Instead of lying in a palace, he lay in a stable. His appearance wasn't something to 
recognize. Isaiah 53 describes this servant of the Lord, Jesus, saying he had no form or majesty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And yet, his love was so deep and vast and strong and fierce that it would make demons flee and jealous kings rage. He comes loving the unlovely. He comes as a friend of sinners. He is called a drunkard and a glutton. He's perpetually misunderstood and ultimately the leaders have him killed. Where our shoulders would droop and sag under the burden burden of our own sin, the burden of the pain of the world, this son, he bears the rule of all things on his own shoulder. The government shall be on his shoulders. And Jesus took that government on. He willingly bore the cross, carrying it on his own shoulder, with the weight of all the sin and sorrow of the world upon it. And he endured it for you and for me. Jesus establishes the kingdom of God, upholding the justice and righteousness of heaven. He is the image, the exact imprint of God's own image. And the church, we the redeemed who benefit from his atonement for us, we are a forerunner, a foretaste, a preview. The main attraction is yet to come because Jesus' first advent, his first coming, means there will be a second when he will come and bring the new heavens and new earth in the fullness of glory. And the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Until then, we are waiting. We are waiting in the darkness with glimpses and glimmers of light. And that light, it brings a word of benediction over us that all will be well. That God really is with us. And so what is the meaning of Christmas? It's God giving his very self to lost and wandering souls. And if we risk it becoming too familiar, it may actually lose its potency. God became man that he might redeem you because he loves you. Don't let that glance off you easily. Because the wild and joy-drunk proclamation that into darkness light shines to dazzle this world in all of its glory and splendor. In Jesus, the darkness was shattered like glass when light flooded through as though 10,000 suns were focusing a beam. And that's why the prophet Isaiah can say in Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. It's the language of poets and of dreamers. We can dream wild dreams again because of the incarnation of God in Jesus. And I want to leave you with this quote from Frederick Buechner, a Christian writer. He said, It was thousands of years ago and thousands of miles away. But it is a visit for all our madness and cynicism and indifference and despair. We shall never quite forget. 
The oxen in their stalls, the smell of hay, the shepherds standing around. The child and that place are somehow the closest of all close encounters. The one we are closest to. The one that brings us closest to something that cannot be told in any other way. The story that faith tells in this fairy tale language of faith is not just that God is, which God knows is a lot to swallow in itself much of the time, but that God comes. Comes here in great humility. There is nothing much humbler than being born naked, totally helpless, not much bigger than a loaf of bread. But with righteousness and faithfulness, the, gird, the girdle of his loins, and to us came, for us came. Is it true? Not just the way fairy tales are true, but as the truest of all truths. Almighty God, are you true? When you are standing up to your neck in darkness, how do you say yes to that question? You say yes, I suppose. The only way faith can ever say it if it's honest with itself. You say yes with your fingers crossed. You say it with your heart in your mouth. Maybe that way we can say yes, he visited us. The world has never been quite the same since. It is still a very dark world and in some ways darker than ever before, but the darkness is different because he keeps getting born into it. The threat of Holocaust, the threat of poisoning the earth and sea and air, the threat of our own deaths, the broken marriage, the child in pain, the lost chance. Anyone who has ever known him because, has known him perhaps better in the dark than anywhere else because it is in the dark where he seems to visit most often. Those walking in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus the Christ. Thanks be to God.